Hey guys. Uh, <laughs> so I recorded an episode with uh, with Matt Law around uh, eight o'clock Central Time uh, in the U.S. on on Tuesday. So yesterday, as you're listening to this, uh, right as we finished uh, the report that uh, Roman Abramovich wanted the 1.6 billion dollar loan um, that he funded through Ford Stan uh, Limited repaid broke, um, and so obviously. You won't hear that consideration given throughout the podcast here, but just to do a quick intro on what that story is to cover off on it, uh, essentially, um, you know, Rob Draper uh, at Draper underscore Rob on on Twitter did a great thread on this where he said, if Roman now wants his 1.6 billion pound load paid as uh, the Time Sport uh, actually reported that originally. Chelsea have a huge existential problem. The UK government has always insisted this can't and won't happen, obviously due to the sanctions. Uh, the clock is ticking on the May 31st deadline, but it's more serious than a complex delay. Uh, essentially, the Premier League meet on June 8th to constitute the new league season for 2022-2023. Uh, if Chelsea aren't licensed to operate by then, they're only licensed now on the UK government's sufferance, and they can't be a part of the Premier League. Uh, where that would leave Chelsea is a moot point. Um, I think there's a huge concern um, about, you know, whether assets that should go to Roman Abramovich end up in uh, the hands of, of foreign nationals. If you're if you're Vladimir Putin, essentially saying that um, the UK government might blink um, and allow that. But it really depends on, on the situation and how it um, develops. Uh, the last minute note made is. Obviously, the Ratcliffe bid is a huge part of this. Uh, so Rob continues saying, intriguing how last-minute Ratcliffe bid mimicked Abramovich's language. Ratcliffe wants to proceed, uh, wants proceeds to go to the charitable trust to support victims of the war. Abramovich initially wanted to set up the foundation for the benefit of all victims of war in Ukraine. Um, it's almost as if the bid was tailor-made to be what Abramovich wanted. Um, and, you know, it, I think that's kind of a huge part of this story that... We just don't know enough about yet uh, to, to know what's real or not. We know that the bully group is in the middle of this kind of five to seven day negotiation period um, as the sole winner. Uh, so we'll kind of see what happens. But uh, another journalist, David Dawkins, goes on to say, R.E. Abramovich loan. We all got that briefing. We all tested it. We were all told that if he tries to do that, the license to complete the deal will not be offered. Bully and Rain are just not that dumb. Relax. So, uh, we'll see, uh, at David G Dawkins uh, on Twitter, also doing some reporting today, but, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, you're going to hear a, a much, uh, I think, uh, rosier, maybe happier picture of, of the bully bid, uh, and, and what comes next, uh, as you dive into this episode, but I at least wanted to provide that context as, as we got news throughout the day so that this wasn't a totally, uh, uh, an episode totally uh, devoid of, of that information. So with that, uh, enjoy Matt Law for an hour. This, uh, this is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is, is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Riding solo this morning. That's right, Brandon, Dan on business. Uh, that means little old Nick uh, taking the reins as fourth choice host with the uh, our good friend Matt Law. Matt, how are we doing? Yeah, good, good. I think we'll be fine. I've done this. I've done this solo with a couple before. I'm not sure we've done we've done a solo edition before, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I'm much better than the the other guys, so it should be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> you, you, of course, are listening to a Matt Law special. We haven't had one of these in a few weeks, Matt, because there's been odds and ends to report. It hasn't been anything crazy over the last couple of weeks until last friday and then everything started to happen again <laughs> uh, well i mean there's there's been yeah it's been it's still been busy but the difficulty is the last couple of weeks you've not it's been difficult to say anything for sure and um we've all just been waiting for that day that day that that came on friday and there was always that fear that we would do one of these shows and then in between speaking to you in the edit everything would change so I think it was probably safer to leave it until we had some clarity, albeit there's a little bit more clarity probably still to come. But yeah, fr 
Friday reminded me, do you remember the first day, the Friday night, when it was the shortlisted bidders and everything went crazy? The Friday got just gone, got like that. It was, uh, yeah, it was a kind of rocky ride and, and bits of information coming from everywhere and trying to piece it together. Quite good fun, actually. Quite good fun. As long as you haven't got any social plans, it's good fun. <laughs> as long as you can be looking at a screen for 24 hours a day, it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Pretty much. But that, that's been my life the last couple of months, to be honest with you. So, uh, so there you go. Well, let's start there. How, how are you doing? <laughs> how, how, is, how is your life? How is everything going with you? And how excited are you for, for this process to actually move forward and potentially be done? I'm very excited for it to get done. I'm very excited for it to get done. Um, yeah, look, look, it's, um, I can't complain, you know, there are a lot, lot worse jobs. It's just difficult because it's that feeling of a paranoia grips you that the, the minute you leave your phone or the minute you commit to do something, a paranoia grips you that that will be the time that uh, an announcement gets made or something happens and that you're stuck in a very difficult position. I've literally been taking my, anything I do, even on days off, I've been taking my laptop with me bag just in case. I've, I, I'm usually quite good at on my days off and stuff, switching off my phone, but can't really switch off the phone or anything. So yeah, it's just been full on. It's just been full on. And I, like I say, it's always that no matter how many, much people will tell you, oh, today, nothing's going to happen today. I'll be a quiet day, whatever. It's that paranoia at the back of your head. I mean, before Friday, actually, I was paranoid because I had tickets to go to, to Villa as a fan with my kids to Villa Norwich on Saturday. And I'd convinced myself that even though a lot of people had said to me that Thursday or Friday last week would, would probably be the day, I'd actually convinced myself it would just be my luck that I'm going to be sat at Villa Park at 3 p.m. and my phone's going to ping and I'm going to be stuck stuck in the stadium at 3 p.m. with it all going mad. But, you know, we're all a bit of a hostage to fortune on this, as I'm sure you found with the, the shows. Well, I mean, yeah, certainly we've tried to schedule this show for the better part of two weeks and it's just been like, where it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe we'll see what happens. But uh, but look, this is going to be a good episode. We're going to talk about Chelsea uh, having a preferred bigger, better and, and the bully group, uh, obviously update the timeline, next steps and, and how this will all come to a conclusion eventually. Uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, the race for the top four, some summer plans and then a sneaky drinks announcement uh because we're going to <laughs> london uh and we'll be in london starting on friday so very excited to potentially see matt and, and uh have a couple of beverages to celebrate this process uh sure. being concluded so uh look matt uh, like you said friday was the crazy day um you had uh, a bunch of news come in uh let's start with the the, the kind of where it all shook out which was uh todd bully's group his consortium entering into exclusive talks with the club, it seems like, and and that uh, he's he's won this race as it stands today, as long as there aren't any last-minute hiccups. Yeah. Look, look, as it stands, and from the process that we knew about, Todd Bowley is the winner as such. He has been given preferred bidder, um, which means just as, just as in any transaction like this, I'm told, once you become a preferred bidder, you basically have about a five-day period of exclusivity, whereby legal documents have to be signed, um, other little bits and bobs have to be done before it, it then proceeds to the next stage. And um, that is where Todd Bowley's group are, and that that makes them the winner at, at this stage. Um, that was obviously complicated by an attempt to disrupt the process, shall we say, by Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who, who hasn't gone away. And, and I should add that I, I've just written an article, actually, that so Martin Broughton has also told his consortium to remain on standby because, and I, and Stephen Pauyuka may well have done the same. I don't actually know about him because, you know, there's always a percentage threat, I suppose, that something falls down or goes wrong in the last signings of the, the documents or whatever. Um, so, so that's where we are. So on Friday come, oh, I'm talking UK time, but probably come five, four, 5 PM UK time Friday. Um, it was time at that stage to, and as we we stand now, to declare Todd Todd Bowley the winner. It's it's literally his to lose now. It's in his hands. It is in his hands. He would have to drop the ball horribly for him for him not to get it. That's that's not to say that cannot happen. I said to you before uh, I came on this, I I never like to say never with with Chelsea, um, but it would. I mean, even in what has at times been an astonishing process, 
that would be a new level of astonishing to go through all of this for him to at the last minute um, um, drop the ball and I don't expect that to happen so I, I can talk you through Friday if you want me to talk you through Friday or or how you know it was a funny a funny day um, within the space of probably three hours we went from a, a bid from nowhere of Sir Jim Ratcliffe's being announced that had been made that morning to around the same time um, bidders were being told that they were not being advanced. Stephen Pauyuka's bid was told he was not being advanced. Sir Martin Broughton was told his bid was not being advanced. And a bit like the, the period when we had the first lot of shortlisted bids, it became clear that um, groups were being told things at different times. There wasn't just one blanket email going out. So you had also a little period where the two groups had been told they weren't being advanced. We knew about Sir Jim Ratcliffe's bid that we didn't quite know where it stood within anything because Rangers haven't commented on that and nor have Chelsea. And actually, there was a little gap of time before actually Todd Bowley's group seemed to be actually told they were being advanced the preferred winner. For a while, they were sort of just going off the notion they hadn't heard anything before they were actually told they'd, they'd got the preferred bidder status. So, yeah, three or four hours of, of craziness. Um, and for Chelsea fans who watch social media very carefully, it was probably a bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> but for anyone with a normal job who went to work, work that morning, don't look at social media all day or don't watch the news all day and came in, they'd have actually gone out probably thinking Todd Bowley's probably going to get preferred bidder. And they'd have come home to find that Todd Bowley's got preferred bidder. So it sort of ended up where we expected it to end up, albeit with, with this slight unknown around Sir, Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Yeah, I mean, let's quickly talk about the the Ratcliffe bid. I mean, this obviously came absolutely out of nowhere. He has previous quotes in this bidding cycle yep. uh, that he was not going to enter. He has previous quotes from a couple of years ago saying that he wouldn't be dumb money. And yep. then at the in the eleventh hour, comes out and apparently has a four point two uh, five billion pound bid which did not follow any process that Rain had set up that had uh, apparently may or may not have met with some supporters groups before lodging the bid. I think maybe he did after. Like, can you can you just talk about how absolutely nuts this process was for, for Ratcliffe to enter the fray? Yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean, r right at the start, um, I actually dug out on Friday the first piece I ever wrote um, when I, I first reported that, that Chelsea were going to be put up for sale before Roman then confirmed it. Um, and Ratcliffe was given a mention in that because we, we, Ratcliffe has shown an interest in Chelsea in the past and it was an, it was an obvious one. Um, but then within 24 hours, you know, Ratcliffe's team, and I think even Ratcliffe's brother, who sort of works around some of his PR, um, were, were saying very openly, and I, I think gave quotes on the record, that, that Jim Ratcliffe was not going to be making a bid in this process. And then there were some recent interviews with him, I think one with the BBC, where he, he made it clear that he wasn't really interested in buying a Premier League club. He, he, he said about Chelsea that Stamford Bridge is a 10-year project and it's 10 years of your life down the drain. He said that he bought a French club because it's far better value for money than a Premier League club and, and, and sort of wasting all that money, as it were. So, I mean, all the noises um, on and off the record and rec as recently as this bidding process and then going back maybe a year or so ago were that there was no way he was getting involved. There's always been people around this process saying, oh, Jim Ratcliffe might, Jim Ratcliffe might, but he denied it and denied it and denied it. And then right at the last minute, I mean, it, it turns out that he, he pretty much, uh, I don't know whether he actually met with him, but he spoke with Bruce Buck on the Thursday day or evening and lodged the bid on Friday morning it seems that to start with he bypassed rain as well that the bid just went straight into Chelsea to be put <laughs> rain. what but I think it would have no. to be because if you think of the time that you know that the rain people who are involved in this process are on New York time so to put in the bid on Friday morning I think just logistically you'd have to go straight to Chelsea otherwise you'd have to wait till probably 2 p.m UK time um, to actually get that bid in if you were doing it through rain. So it was a, you know, it it looks like a mad move by him because why, why when you're going to do that, why would you leave it so late? Why would you leave leave yourself so little room for manoeuvre and re leave yourself probably so little chance 
you're really reliant on at that stage on one of the the bids going badly, badly wrong to get in there. And that, that's still what he's relying on. And he's doing it backwards too, because it quickly became apparent, I checked on Friday, that he'd done no due diligence. He hadn't spoken to any supporters group before lodging the bid. He hasn't done anything around the stadium, the pitch owners, the supporters trust, Paul Cannaval in, involving diversity and inclusion. And he's doing the bid the wrong, the, well, I say the wrong way around, I shouldn't say that because it's not for me to say whether it's wrong or right, but he's doing the bid backwards because he, he's put the bid in and now in an attempt to position himself for if the Bowley bid were to go wrong, he now appears to be starting his deal, which is he's met with the CST over the weekend. I don't yet know whether he's met with the CPO. He, I believe there's been a conversation um, between his kind of media team and the Cannaville group, although weirdly he hasn't got back to them, which, which strikes me as odd, but... It feels like he's in the process now of doing his due diligence now. So it just feels all the wrong way around. I guess, you know, and, and I don't know what else we really need to say about the Radcliffe bid um, at this stage. But did you hear from any of the other, um, you know, three you know final bidders about their thoughts on this late entry, about not following the process that they had all been made to follow is there anything out there that you're just like wow like the other bidders are furious about this or they didn't care because they didn't take it seriously no they were shocked they were shocked because i i, I know when the the when um enos and sir, sir jim ratcliffe first put out the statement was literally the time that the other bidders were, were poised for news you know that i i think it was literally around the time where the bidders were starting to be told they were being taken out of the process so they were they were absolutely stunned to hear this. They didn't really know where the initial reaction was. They didn't really know where it left the process. I've got to be honest that you know some of the groups who have who have not been put through did worry that that possibly they'd been played almost. I mean that's obviously been borne yeah. out to not be the case. But your first reaction would be, well, has this all been a sham? You know, are we all getting knocked out today to find Sir Jim Ratcliffe bought it all behind our backs? So there was a lot of confusion and a lot of shock and surprise. That quick, quite quickly died down because they started to get some communication from Rain. Um, and it quite quickly became just a little bit of confusion. Why, why has he done this so late? Why, why has he left it so late? How can he expect to sort of come in through the back door this late, really? Uh, well, let's go back to Bowley, uh, because it sounds like, if I'm hearing you correctly, that the, um, the Sir Jim Ratcliffe bid, the Sir Martin Broughton bid, are basically just hoping that Bowley fumbles it, right? I mean, yeah, they're sort of there ready to pounce. And, and that's looks sensible. I know that that Broughton did a call with all of his consortium just saying, look, please don't go anywhere. Please don't sort of leave us, as it were. I want you on standby. I do think if anything were to go wrong, uh, we can make ourselves a preferred bidder and you you would definitely after investing all this time and money into it you would definitely do that's like any transaction isn't it you know if you're see it through bid, yeah yeah and if you're bidding for a house or anything and it one one group can't quite get it over the line then they go back to the next bidders and most of them won't have walked away so it's just that's normal practice and that that is where we are so i think as we stand on on tuesday afternoon we have to expect that the Bowley bid is going to get signed, sealed, and delivered. Well, let's talk about them. Maybe a little less crazy. I think there's been strong indications from you and others that they were a front runner the entire uh, length of the sale. So them winning shouldn't necessarily be a surprise to any of our listeners, right? No, I mean, look, um, I took a bit of stick for it, but I've I've had them as the front runner all the way through, to be quite honest with you. Um that was through a little bit of knowledge uh, from when they bid for Chelsea in 2019. And I knew that there was already a relationship there. I knew that uh, people at Chelsea were already impressed by people with, with Bowley himself and people within this group. Um, I don't think they've ever gone away. I, I think there's been not discussions to buy the club, but that relationship has maintained through those years. So there was always that that relationship there was always that feeling um that they were very serious and that this wasn't something that had been hastily put together just for this this bidding process to be honest with you so i always had them as front runners and then um i just felt that looking at all the bids as well even from an outside perspective i didn't have 
that much more intelligence on the inner workings of the bids than any of your, the listeners would have had. But just putting together the pieces and listening properly and, and working it out properly, it, it was very clear that they were a very sort of clean um, and what, what would be a good word? They were just a very clean and a very impressive bid. And it, it just felt that it was always theirs to lose to me. I, I even thought at times that they were bidding against themselves, to be quite frank with you. You know, it was clear from the start that the Bowley group would have bought Chelsea without going through the rain process. They had made it clear. I reported this. They had made it clear to the club that if they wanted to sell that quickly, they felt they could have been in by that Brentford game. It had to have been a real panic to sell within a month or something because of what's happened with Roman Abramovich. They were saying, Chelsea, we will buy it now. But Chelsea and Roman, even with what's happened with the sanction, wanted to go through a process. But there has been a feeling within that process from me, I should say, not from anyone else, that they've almost been bidding against themselves at times because I always, I always thought they would most likely come out on top. Well, I, I guess as it pertains to kind of the final nuts and bolts of this thing, do you have, there, there's been a bunch of reporting. I, I need an extra 500 million pounds for, <laughs> for charity that, you know, I need some extra concessions here. Like, uh, do you have any sense of, you know, with the final bid, even though nothing's been announced by rain, it should be said uh, at this point. Uh, do you have any sense that there are new concessions or an increased fee than what, than what was being paid previously? And, how that might look in a in a kind of total final bid. Yeah, look, I um, I think that what this process has done is it has put the price up because I think at the start of the process you were probably looking at under two point five billion for what was a distressed asset. Let's face it, because of what's happened to the club with the sanctions on Roman, um, rightly or wrongly, they were a distressed asset, so the price had dropped. Um, that price with the process and with some add-ons and things that have happened is now probably closer to 3 billion. And that includes a commitment to spend at least another billion on the structure of the club. So Stamford Bridge and the playing squad. So any total deal is going to be worth 4 billion upwards, basically. The interesting thing about the whole Sir Jim Ratcliffe thing is it, his team tried to put it out that they'd made a 4.25 million billion bid. They hadn't. They'd made a 2.5 billion bid with a commitment to spend 1.75 billion. That actually put them under some of the other bids because some of the other bids, the initial actual bid was more than 2.5 billion. And the other bidders would tell you that, yes, we've committed to spend a billion, but in likelihood over 10 years, we'll spend way more than a billion. That's just what the, the guaranteed commitment is. But yeah, I it's, it's never going to have a final offer. No one's ever going to disclose it, I don't think. I'd be absolutely surprised if they did but I think we can work on the probably the working assumption that when Bowley does buy it and and given what he has guaranteed to spend the deal will be worth around four billion pounds and I remember I'm old enough to remember Matt when we first talked about the story in early March that you were like yeah if it's anywhere over 2.5 they would have done really well yeah exactly Exactly. I, I didn't think we could get over I mean look 2.5, 2.5, if we'd have discussed it, I would have said, look, you, you've got to factor in, you're spending a lot more on the stadium at some stage. and you've But the actual, so the sale price, so let's go back to the sale price without the guarantee, which is going to be near enough 3 billion. I would have never thought they'd have got 3 billion. I wouldn't because of the, the state, the, the speed. Um, I didn't actually think they had that many bids that would, that would get to that size. While there was an awful lot of interest and... Um, I'm not being disrespectful to anyone in the bidding process. I didn't look at the bids and think, oh, there's, there's that many credible, huge bids out there that's really going to drive the price up. So it has got higher, um, considerably higher than, than I expected. I thought it I thought it'd come in around 2.5 billion, maybe even slightly under, to be quite honest with you. Well, hey, guys, we're going to take a quick ad break, very quick, and then we'll be right back to talk about the next steps in the process, the type of owner that, that the bully group uh will be for chelsea and then a little summer fun as we as we edge toward the uh the summer transfer window so uh, we will be right back thanks to the sponsors for supporting the show all right our next partner has a product that i use literally every day i started taking ag1 because well 
It's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in, you know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat, and now we gotta add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it, it's easy, it's fast, it's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it. It, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Matt, we're back. Uh, obviously, uh, love hearing all of your updates. And uh, uh, I know there are a lot of really thankful people throughout this process that you've been able to report so frequently uh, on this. Where where can people find your writing and your newsletter? We want to give you a bit of a plug here so that we get more uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt Law subscribers. Yeah. That is very kind of you. The easiest way, if you want to sort of delve into my archive of work, um, which I probably shouldn't shouldn't publicise just because people will find uh, things they will blame are incorrect in there. <laughs> uh, the easiest way is if you actually go on my Twitter profile and there's a link on there to my, they call at the Telegraph an author page, which will give you access to all the articles I've written for the Telegraph in order. So if anyone wants to, if anyone's got some sort of um, wish to to sort of self-harm as it were and wants to go back over the last two months of this process and read every single article then they're very welcome to do that um but yeah it's all there appreciate that i'm not a doctor i wouldn't recommend it uh no definitely not no doubt it would send send you mad i'd be throwing myself off a building within about three articles i think uh all right well look uh we just we just finished before the break talking about um kind of where the bully bid came in financially can you quickly talk about, you know, they're in the middle of this essentially five-day stretch at this point, right, to to buy the club um, if we're using business days. Um, so can you talk about what they're going through right now, their final steps, and, like, how this thing actually comes to some sort of conclusion? Yeah, look, I, this that's a really tricky question because um, people are very reluctant to talk about this little bit of the process and, and give you any detail. And to be honest, I don't know the detail. All I know is that in this period of exclusivity is where legal documents have to be signed, commitments have to be uh, reaffirmed in writing and things just have to be checked over before essentially everything's signed to make the club bowling. Because what, what, will, what will then just happen once you've got through this period of exclusivity is if everybody's happy, it will be bowlies because they will just put it to UK government for approval and then put it to the Premier League. And nothing other than one of them objecting to him, this is the bit where we're pretty much Chelsea are just signing it over to them and bowlies recommitting to, to various things. So that's a broad um, explanation of what's happening. To give an in-depth of what exactly has to get signed, what exactly... I, I would love to have that much information, but... I, <laughs> I just don't it's even confusing to know exactly because again they don't really want to give us the day that the the exclusivity ends because it becomes like a deadline and obviously we know that in this process the deadlines <laughs> have, have not always worked out well i was about to say yeah deadlines have not really been respected in this exactly. process and um it's it's even tricky to get a handle on when the five days runs out because we've just had a in england a bank holiday weekend 
um, where we've had Monday yesterday was not a working day in England. So I don't quite know where that lies within. And, and do you start it? Do you start the process on Friday. the Friday or does it start the day after? Exactly. So we're all slightly guessing over when the exclusivity ends, but it will be sometime this week, whether it be the middle of this week or the end of this week. Uh, at that point as well, as long as everything goes well, I would have thought there's a chance at the end of exclusivity, uh, as long as Bowley's bid does actually then go through, that we might have some sort of an official announcement. Well, that'd be a lot of fun to have some sort of official communication about the process. That'd be. I don't. I honestly don't think there was. I mean, people. I know people have said that um, the um, the Sir Jim Ratcliffe bid has stopped people making an official announcement on on the Bowley bid. I I don't believe that to be the case. I don't think with this period of exclusivity and the, the slight uncertainty, the one percent uncertainty that goes with it. I don't think there would ever have been um, an announcement on this side. There will only be an announcement, I think, when someone has officially dotted the I's and, and crossed the T's. So I don't actually think that the Ratcliffe bid stopped any official announcement. That's my per own personal opinion. And then you get the sense that the Premier League and the government test should be pretty straightforward once, you know, kind of Chelsea have selected their you know, and have final negotiations and legal documentation signed. Yeah. Um, I think it's very, very clear. I think uh, the Bowley, a lot of the bidders actually, because a lot of the bidders have been quite open about this in fairness. Um, a lot of the bidders were, were, were very confident to say, you know, we, we know we will sail through the government test. We know we will sail through the Premier League test. There's an expectation for, for sure that the Bowley bid would. I don't, I don't think anyone, to be honest, at, at this stage of the process who's left would, would fail either of those tests. So I think they, they would just be a matter of course, albeit that the Premier League are very adamant that even though they've started background checks and they've started some sort of an official process to try and help this along, they will do a proper owners and directors test. So it's going to at least be a week for them to do that. Um, and the government have to just sign off on the fact that uh, they're happy with it. But again, no, I really don't foresee any problems in either of those for anybody. Uh, we, we did have a question from uh, one of our listeners. What, what happens to the money? Does it just get put in escrow Good and question. frozen? Does it, like, do we have any indication as to who has access to this, where it gets moved? There have been rumored reports now of the government using some of the funds to fund grassroots football at a level. Like, what, what is happening? Uh, I think initially it will probably go into a frozen account. Um to then get distributed. Um, I think there will be an attempt to, to get a good chunk of it to good causes very quickly, because I think having everyone, Roman Abramovich was clear that's what he wanted to happen. The UK government have been clear that's what they want to happen. So I think they've got to make that happen to some degree very quickly. It won't be all of it. As you say, it seems like the former Arsenal chairman, David Dean, um, is trying to lobby for some of the money to go to grassroots football. But I think I think an initial sum, there'll be an attempt to get an initial sum very quickly to good causes. And then I think some will have to go into some sort of frozen account for a while while they work out. Unfortunately, I don't think it's as easy as you literally get the money and you write a check for all these good causes straight away and and all sit back and, and watch it do good. It's, we'd all like the world to work that way, but it doesn't quite work that way. Very true. Um, all right, let's let's talk a little bit about the future. Assuming, right, we've we've just gone through twenty eight minutes of diligence on on what this bid is and how it'll function potentially and what the next steps are. Let's just make a assumption for our audience that the bully bid does progress. That they are the winners. That Todd Bully is the chairman, next chairman and owner of Chelsea Football Club. Uh, I guess. One of the questions we got, of course, as a part of this process, we learned that the future of Stamford Bridge was a huge component of each of kind of the final bidders. Do we have any indication? We got this question from McGleasy. Do we have any indication about the process to upgrade Stamford Bridge or what the Bully Consortium might do with that or any sort of like timelines or anything on, on the actual build of that? I think, well, yeah, good question. Um I think they would look to move quite quickly into getting things rolling on that um, because it's a very high priority on, on most of the bidders' lists. I mean, look at just look at it in a 
in an unpassionate view, that that's the only way anyone's going to try really make any money out of Chelsea is to get the stadium sorted out and and try and bring in extra match day revenue and things and non match day revenue that way. It's the only way really you can grow Chelsea because it's quite a hard brand to grow. Um, so they will be looking to get that rolling very quickly. That doesn't mean they will be rebuilding Stamford Bridge very quickly because the planning permission ran out. They have to get new planning permission. Um, I think they've done a lot of, I know the Bowley bid in particular, have done an awful lot of due diligence in terms of what, what would need to happen to rebuild a stadium. It's quite as easy as a normal re- stadium rebuild. I think it's down a little bit, which on lots of stadium rebuilds, you don't have to dig down. Um, the exit and entry points are a little bit of an issue, which again, not on all stadiums are they quite such an issue. But they've they've gone through all this. They have spoken at length um, with the build lead on the project of Abramovich's project for a new stadium. So they know the sort of problems. They know the issues. Um, I think that's a guy called David Hickey, but I'm speaking off the top of my head. So apologies if I've got that name wrong. Um, and yeah, that they will move quickly on that, but that doesn't mean to say bulldozers will be moving in this summer or anything like that. Um, but they they are moving; they will definitely move quickly on that. It's, it's one of their priorities, and and they're far down the line with what they would do and how they would do it. They would then just have to start a planning process, I'd imagine. So, do you get the sense that they're going to go for a full rebuild and not the stand by stand construction, or is it still? Yeah, I think it, I should have said that it will be um, a stand-by-stand, from what I understand, re, uh, rebuild, should I say, rather than complete, uh, or redevelopment rather than a complete rebuild. It, it, it's become apparent that even though, you, in theory, you can knock down Stamford Bridge and rebuild it, as Roman plans did show, it would take so long and take so much money and, and keep the fans away for so long that, in reality, it's just not very palatable for anybody. Um, so I think all the groups got to the stage where they would go for the, the stand-by-stand redevelopment. And yeah, I should have said redevelopment over rebuild because that, that is probably a more accurate way of describing it. Um, one curveball in here is that there could be some new government regulation around football soon with this fan-led review and the, and the Crouch uh, kind of committee uh, on football. Do you have any sense of how that will impact football writ large and then maybe... Uh, how it can impact Bowley's purchase of Chelsea? Well, I know that, that Bowley has committed to meet all of the uh, Chelsea supporters' trusts um, sort of, uh, I don't want to call them demands because that makes it sound confrontational and they weren't confrontational, but all of all of the proposals made by this Chelsea supporters' trust for new owners, um, I know that the Bowley group have, have agreed to meet. So that will include a shadow board, um, a goal, so the shadow board will be a, a board of fans who, who sort of operate in conjunction with the main board um, and have a voice. And then the golden share, um, which is going to be an important thing in football, which basically is a, is a veto on, on stuff like the name of the club, the colours of the club, the club crest, uh, competitions that the club play in, basically sort of legacy issues and all, all those kind of things. And then, yeah, the... As I say, it's going to be a big part. I mean, interestingly, I think I've said on this show before, Daniel Finkelstein, who is part of the, the Bowley bid, was part of the Tracy Crouch-led review. You know, he he was part of the panel. Um, so he knows better than anybody. And he's been championing um, this fan-led review along with Tracy Crouch. So, and he's on the inside of the bid. He's part of the group. So I, I, he, I think he also, when he announced his 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 sort of membership of the Bowley group, he released his own statement on Twitter that said that they want to be pioneers uh, for fan representation within football. Todd Bowley, whenever you listen to him speak on anything you can find from him, always talks so much about the influence of fans. Now, people will pass that off as, as good PR, and some of it, frankly, is good PR, but he talks so passionately about it and so much about it that I'd be surprised if it doesn't take a big part of his bid. And he was... He's been at some conference in LA the last couple of days where some quotes have come about about him. And again, he, he's spoken about the, the need to fill stadiums and have passionate fans in the stadiums. And he's, he's pointed out that his Dodgers prices, I think the admission prices are, are some of the lowest around, he claims. I don't actually know whether that's true because I haven't researched it. Um, 
So I think fan representation is actually going to be a huge, huge part of this. And communication, because I think if there's one aspect of Roman Abramovich's ownership of Chelsea that you could criticise, it would be the communication side. Um, and he will have his reasons for that. And you can you can make excuses by saying, oh, so-and-so talks to the fans and this person talks to the fans. But there wasn't communication from, there wasn't good communication from the owner to the fans a lot of the time albeit he always acted in the best interest of the club. Um, but I think that will change. I think there will be a big push to make a real line of communication between the ownership of the fans of this ownership. Yeah, I had a special interview with uh, Chris Isaac, who uh, heads up the uh, CPL, and uh, Chidge, obviously, who who is part of the Supporters Trust. And they, they made it sound like frequent communication would would just make life a hell of a lot easier, you know? Yeah. And and hopefully that is the case where there's more dialogue. And, you know, even if they're, you know, of course the sports trust is not going to make final decisions on a bunch of stuff, right? But if they're involved in the process, I think that helps everyone just kind of lower the temperature a little bit, um, yeah. which is, is helpful at this time. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope that is the case as well. Uh, you wrote an article God, it had to be almost two months ago in this process about the type of owner that Todd Bowley will be for Chelsea. You know, you mentioned that he prioritizes winning. Uh, he's now won over Paul Cannaville and various Chelsea groups like the Sports Trust and CPO. Uh, he invests in women's sport. Uh, seems like a fan first type of owner because he knows, you know, if fans are happy, everyone else is happy. Is there anything else that Chelsea fans should know about the type of guy that that Todd Bowley is and what he represents? Well, I, I don't, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I don't actually know him and I've never spoken to the guy. Um, I obviously know people around him and I've researched him a lot and I've, I've sort of taken counsel from other people. So I'm, whatever I say, I'm speaking third hand because I wouldn't want sure. people to think I know the guy or have spoken to him. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to know him and speaking to him. Um, but that hasn't come yet. I mean, look, that does feel like there's a certain, given he's a billionaire and given his sort of success in life, he, he feels quite a grounded individual. You know, we, we saw the pictures of him coming into Stamford Bridge in his jeans with his cap on and his scarf around his, around his neck on the first one for the Real Madrid game. Then he came back for another game and it was even lower profile. I think one fan managed to get a, a picture of him. And again, he... he there was a, a very low profile to him, you know, let's say. And I, I get the impression from everyone I speak to, he's quite a grounded guy. Um, I think I, I, I get the impression that um, there's going to be a little bit more data involved in Chelsea uh, under, under his ownership. You've only got to look at the Dodgers, that they're pretty data-led. Uh, Daniel Finkelstein's got a massive data background. Uh, someone he worked with is now very high up at Liverpool um, on their data. And, and let's face it, American sports owners generally like to, to go down that route. So I would suspect there'll be a, a little bit of a shift to that. I actually think it's very good news for the academy as well. It's, don't get me wrong, it's very good news for the ladies' team. You, you know, he owns a ladies' team. Um, Barbara Sharon is going to be a non-executive director of the board. She's spoken about how highly she, she rates Emma Hayes. Um, so there's this female representation within that board as well. I think it's very good news for the ladies team, but I always, like I say, focusing in on the men's team, I think it's good news for the academy in that I think there will be a real um, sort of reliance to bring through, you know, homegrown players, particularly as how successful it's been in, in recent years. I can actually only see the investment into the academy growing, not, not diminishing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if parts of, of of the academy, like I say, get invested on and actually grow bigger rather than rather than anyone thinking that we've already done all we need to do on this. And as you say, he's made it very clear. Look, let's not try and pretend the guy's a saint. You know, everyone's in this to make a bit of money and to do well for themselves. There's no point pretending otherwise. Um, but he's made it clear that the best way he sees making money out of sports is to be successful. Now, the Dodgers, the value of the Dodgers has gone up ridiculously since he's been involved in it. And he's talked about the fact that the only way to actually increase the value of the Dodgers was to start winning and, and to be successful sort of on the pitch, as it were. And I, I imagine that will be his, his mantra with Chelsea, that the only way to actually grow this brand and, and sort of make it even more valuable 
will be to to make it as successful as possible um and i think they will try to they will make an effort shall we say to get chelsea back into a stage where they're competing more in the premier league because they have become a little bit of a cup team in recent years um, and i think they will look carefully at, at why that has been and and maybe any little tweaks that can be made to, to rectify that a little bit. You, you wrote a piece, um, I think, last week or the week before on the five pressing needs as if as if there wasn't enough going on for Todd Bowley uh, upon arrival at Stanford Bridge. He said he needs to sort Tuchel, sort Marina, sort the contract, sort sponsorship, and figure out what to do with Romelu Lukaku, which is a whole other bucket of worms. I mean... We got questions on basically all of these from our listeners. Uh, Mr. Steck asking, has anyone checked on Tuchel? It's been an absurdly tough year for him, both professionally and personally. Do you, do you have any sense of, of you know, obviously Tuchel came out with some quotes that he'll he'll be at Chelsea next year. Do you have any sense of, of what the hell he's been going through at this stage? I mean, it has to be just the craziest moment of his life. Yeah, I mean... I don't, to be honest, I don't, I mean, we, we know Thomas on a professional sense. No, I, I don't know him on a, I don't know what his personal life's like or, or what's going on on there. So I don't really know what his, um, away from Chelsea, I don't know how it's been for him. It's got to have been a difficult time professionally with Chelsea, just with everything that's been going on. I think it has for everybody at that club. They've been having to get used to things that no other clubs really had to get used to because of the limitations that have been placed on the club. Um, so it's not been easy from that point of view. He's not really, they've been able to start trying to plan for the summer on the expectation that there will be a new owner. But as he said last week, they've not actually been able to move on in any of those plans. So they've had that hanging over their heads. The future of players they've already got, they've had their hands tied on that. So it has been a tough time. Um, but I think Thomas will know that he's in a very strong position. And uh, everything I know about the Bowley bid would suggest that they realise that he is one of the club's strongest assets um, and that keeping him happy and backing him will be one of the most important things they can do when they get their hands fully on the club. When, when they are in a position where it is appropriate to do so, which is probably not quite now when they're in an exclusivity period, but probably not long after that exclusivity period's passed, assuming it all goes through as we do, I think one of their first moves will be to contact Thomas Tuchel and either speak over the phone with him or attempt to meet him because he he very wisely took himself out of this process because he didn't want to be looked to sort of favour one bid or the other. Um, but th they will look to talk to him very quickly and to speak to him about their vision. And I think to reiterate, and I know this for a fact, how impressed they've been with him. They've been incredibly impressed by not just his management of the team and the club, albeit it's been a sticky patch of results. Um, but his his... He has become Chelsea's ambassador through this because no one else has spoken. He has been Chelsea's ambassador and they have been hugely impressed by that. Um, so he's only going to get their full back in. But as I wrote, that, that will happen quickly and needs to happen quickly. Um, Marina is an interesting one because you would imagine over any handover process, you would want Marina there. Um, I think what happens in the long term is more down to her. Uh, and more how she sees herself being able to work. And I don't think anyone can really predict that at that, this stage. And then the others, the sponsors is very interesting. What they do with the sponsors is very interesting because, you know, those sponsors, I assume, will think that once the sanctions on the club are lifted, I mean, certainly three have another year left on their deal. And I would have thought the expectation was with three that as soon as the, the sanctions are lifted, well, we'll come back in, whether whether the Bowley group have other ideas and are prepared to try and end that agreement and, and get a new sponsor. I don't, I don't know at the moment, but it's certainly a de that decision would have to be made very quickly. You know, that, that is an impending decision that would have to be made very quickly. I'd imagine they already have a view within themselves over, over that. And I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I, I... Wasn't it Catalina Kidd who was involved with one of the, 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 the groups she was with the candy group for a while. Um, wasn't she making a big play of the fact she would get Samsung back if they won? So it's obviously been talked among groups before. I mean, I think the minute that three pulled out, it had to start. The, the conversation had to start, right? Um, a couple of pulled, what we should be careful with. They haven't pulled out. They've suspended it. It's different to pulling out, and sure. that's why. 
that's why they will say, I would imagine, when the uh, when the club is no longer under sanctions, that that suspension sort of ends. But realistically, whether the relationship can continue, I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're dead to most of the fans at this point, so I don't think that'll go very well. Um, a couple of notes on the sponsorship piece. Obviously, the Dodgers are pursuing some new and interesting sponsorship deals right now. It's just very timely that this would come up. Um, with some like uniform and so, you know, kid sponsor and, and a field naming, right. Um, but yeah, bully is a, I think commercial wizard when it comes to some of this stuff. So uh, I saw an unverified report yesterday that, that basically he's going to be looking to expand those rights to ensure that there is a huge commercial push at Chelsea. I'm intrigued to see how that all works. We'll see. Liverpool, Liverpool are in in talks for a new deal with uh, with their uh, shirt sponsor, Standard Charter, um, and people are talking about a world record deal there worth sort of eighty million or something. I think Chelsea's last deal with three was worth forty million a year. I mean, if Chelsea, if that is accurate, and Liverpool get eighty million a year off Standard Charter, then then that will have a knock on effect throughout. They will all try and follow. Um, and you're right, but one of Bowley's big strengths. Uh, within his sort of part ownership of sports teams at the moment seems to be maximising sponsorship deals and also sort of media deals, um, which he's been very strong on. So you would have thought that a lot of his interest in, in coming into English football is related to that. Well, we can talk about the contract situation in our in our race for top four and summer plan section really quick. Obviously, you mentioned Chelsea have not had a good run of form. Uh, that... It has probably come down to a lot of different things. Um, I guess what, what's your assessment, Matt, of of these last four or five matches, and you know, have all of the distractions, of all the injuries, of all the intense schedule that that they've played this year, kind of finally caught up with them? Do they look like a team that is just trying to write it out? I would give them that excuse, but it happens every year. You know, this is the same. This is a squad of players who a lot of them haven't changed very much. And they go through these periods every season since they last won the league, which is why I'm really reluctant to give them that excuse because if this was a one-off season where this has happened, then fine. But it's not a one-off season. This, this, several managers have had the same complaint about the Chelsea players, that when they're on it, they're amazing, but they can't afford to not be on it every time. They, they've all said it. Conte said it. Uh, Mourinho said it. Sarri said it. Lampard said it. And now Tuchel says it. So it's the same thing. So I, I, I'm really reluctant to give them that out. I actually, look, it's not been a disappointing season per se, but I think it's been a disappointing league season. To see Chelsea 17 points off the top when they finished last season, 19 points off the top. You've got to say in the league, there's not been a lot of progress. Oh, certainly not. Yeah. And I'm, not, and I'm also, when I'm not surprised by the recent run of results, just again, because... It's happened so frequently with a lot of these players that this this happens. They go through two major dips usually, one around the middle of the season and one at the end of the season. Um, when it feels like at, towards the end of the season, the focus starts to drift. So I'm not surprised by it. I find it disappointing. And I think until it's properly addressed, I, they'll never get anywhere near winning the league. They just won't. Do you think that Chelsea will eventually make top four? Oh, they'll make top four. They'll, they'll, they'll finish third. Confidence. Confidence personified. <laughs> yeah, they'll finish third. They'll, they'll, and I think they'll comfortably finish third. I'm, I'm not worried at all about I know mathematically we can all start to say about looking over their shoulders and they haven't sealed it. I, I, I genuinely don't see that as a problem. But I also genuinely don't see as, that as anything to particularly write home about or anything like that. They should be... They should not necessarily be winning the league, but they should be a lot closer than they are. 17 points off top, having finished 19 points off top last season and then winning the Champions League and coming into this season with a lot of confidence and belief. I think it's actually pretty poor league season for Chelsea. Very disappointing. If they don't win out, they will finish level or worse than they did last year. Yeah, and 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 that would be, you know, they've That's come awful. off such a high at the end of last season They've got another year's experience of the young players and they've spent £100 million. In the league, it's got to be a lot better. It's got to be a lot better. And I, 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 I sort of reproduced a piece this morning that I wrote in January 
about the fact that this is a squad made of six managers until they reset, until they reset and actually look at what City and Liverpool have done, particularly with Klopp signing a new contract. And it looks like Guardiola will sign a new contract until they get a squad that's in the image of their coach. It's it's living in another period of football to think that you're just going to suddenly buy your way back to the league. Football's moved on. Football has moved on. And last time Chelsea won the league was because Pep had only just gone into Man City and Liverpool hadn't got into the image of Klopp yet. Now, since then, it's moved on league-wise. You can still win a cup. They're still very talented. They can still have a fantastic squad and they can beat Liverpool in the FA Cup final. They can. They could still win next season's Champions League. In the league, it's different. My very passionate opinion is they will never beat those two clubs at the moment again until they have a reset or until they just wait for Klopp and Guardiola to go. And that looks like it isn't happening for a long time now. Well, that's disappointing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, way to deflate the balloon here, Matt. Um, look, uh, I think I think where we want to take this is obviously the summer. Rudiger now confirmed to leave. Christensen certainly going to leave. You have a bunch of contract situations that are immediate and need to get resolved. You have a 100 million pound striker that you can't figure out what to do with that seems like everyone would be better off if, if he wasn't here. Uh, what what are your thoughts on on how kind of current contracts go, and then we can talk quickly about summer? Okay, quick prediction: uh, two defenders in. Yep, I think there'll be some sort of statement signing on top of the two defenders. Don't ask me who; I don't know. It's way too early, but I think a new who owner... is it, Matt? Who is it? <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> I think a new owner with Todd Bowley's background of spending at the Dodgers and also wanting to make a statement. I don't think they will just sign two defenders. I think they'll sign two defenders and there will be a statement eye-catching signing. I really do. I don't know who yet and I don't know what position yet. That will hopefully become clear in the next couple of weeks. Um, Contract-wise, uh, I think there will be a big move to get Mount and Reese James put on contracts. Not because there is a realistic fear they're going to suddenly leave and walk out. Not because of that, but because they need to be rewarded. They're down near the bottom of Chelsea's earners there'll be a realisation that that needs to be addressed and that they deserve to be addressed. Mendy might even get one too, because I think he's towards the bottom of the earners as well. I think that will be rebalanced. And then... What are you doing midfield, Matt? Yeah. What do you do? Personally, I wouldn't give Kante a new contract and I wouldn't sell him. I'd keep Kante. I would accept that the guy's probably not going to play quite as frequently as everyone would like. And I would have a, another look in, a, in another year. If he wants to go at the end, you only spent 30 million on him. He's been the bargain of the century for Chelsea. If he ends up going for free at the end of the season, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. He earns too much money, I think, to give him a new contract at this stage with the injury doubts over him and the form doubts over him. But I also think it would be a bad time when you're losing players like Rudiger and Christensen and other players, I think it'd be a really bad time as well to accept a bid on him. I would leave Kante alone, let him just go into the final year, don't panic. Jorginho, if a good bid came in, I would sell him. I think now would be the time to sell him and take some money on him. He's never going to have a better season than he, he just previously had when he got in the race for the Ballon d'Or. Everybody shake his hand, he's been a good signing, a good player after a very sticky start. And then Lukaku, God only knows. What, what did you do? I mean, I, I looked at him on the bench against Everton and it was the first time I thought, you can't keep him. I've thought all along they've got to try and make it work and maybe the, they have to hope a good pre-season works for him. Because I do think it's worth remembering he never had a pre-season with, with Chelsea last season. He came in late in the summer. He played the World Cup. He didn't have a pre-season. I've always felt up to now, give him a pre-season, give him a pre-season, let him work with Tuchel for pre-season, let them have that time together to try and come towards each other. It can work. Looking at him on the bench at Everton was the first time I thought, do you know what, they've just got to find a way to sort of part. And I don't know how. Lukaku's probably got to pray that Antonio Conte gets the PSG job and, and Chelsea might have to pray for that as well because it might be their best chance, quite frankly. Let's see. Yeah, TBD. Well, final note, we are going to uh, hopefully see you in, in about uh, seven to ten days' time. We'll see kind of in that week. Hopefully Chelsea have been sold and you can take a couple of breaths and 
maybe get on uh, on a couple of beverages here. But uh, yeah, hopefully, I won't be meeting you with my laptop. That would be very disappointing. That would be incredibly disappointing. <laughs> we had this whole. We were going to go over in December, have this huge holiday boozy brunch thing, and then COVID derailed us, and now this whole sale is it's just crazy. But we will have a couple of beverages, yeah, for sure, for sure. We'll definitely get a few drinks, and then hopefully more than just a few drinks. If uh, if the sale can just progress a little <laughs> step further by then, we're we're in if you are. How about that? <laughs> very good all right well thanks for the extended pod matt we, we appreciate all of the time all the reporting that you've been doing to, to keep us informed on this it's been a crazy process but um we're gonna go shout matt out and uh until next time just fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high